checking out what dudes are wearing as as shorts, but I, I felt <laughs> they were the right length. They were just above the knees. Yeah, I both have my, really my tape measure of like, oh, this is perfect at the seam. And <laughs> <laughs> this is a good team, I can tell you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dodgeball Podcast. Hope you all enjoyed last week's recap of the Dodgeball Tribune Tournament. However, we're going to go ahead and shift back to the interview-based format where I get to nerd out with Kenny Dodgefather Cox out of the Bay Area. Here we go. Alrighty, well, I'm here with uh, Kenny Dodgefather Cox. Kenny, first question right out the gate. I already know this answer, but uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, and let's start with uh, where Dodgefather came from. God, I have been playing since 2006. Um, started originally in Underground Dodgeball, which was underground dodgeball league in the bay area uh, started by a couple friends of mine and the original founder of it had that nickname and i actually inherited it when he left so i think i've been called that since my first elite tournament which was norcal state championships back in i want to say 2012 2013 i think was when mark originally scouted me so i i inherited the name and it kind of stuck and at the time our team was was introducing nicknames to everybody and i thought well that one works for me when I first started, though, my nickname was Gloves because when we first started playing dodgeball, everybody I knew wore football receiver gloves at the time because they felt it would help them catch better. Pretty pretty interesting change to see how things move after the course of many years. Now it's not gloves anymore. Now it's tape. Oh, um, man, I wanted, that's a good thing to segue into. Um, I'm going to back <laughs> up, though. <laughs> so you're originally nicknamed Gloves, and then you took on the role of Dodgefather pretty much? Yeah, so, so okay, so let, let's go back to the beginning of Underground Dodgeball so you can kind of get a feel for where all this came from. So a couple buddies of mine um, were in a band, and they got absolutely trashed one night, and they went and they watched Dodgeball the movie. Um, and they said, man, that looks like it would be a ton of fun, but we definitely should not be sober when we do this. So they got absolutely smashed, went to an underground parking garage late at night, and like 10 of them just went out at each other with dodgeballs that night and they thought this is this is pretty dope we could probably make this a thing so i think like it was the i want to say it was the second or third week that they ever did it um, i got invited by a friend of mine and i said that sounds absolutely amazing yes i would love to try it so i stepped on the court and i was god awful um it was it was pretty friggin' embarrassing like i could not throw a ball 30 feet in a straight line in front of me um so after a while I figured, you know what, if there's something I'm going to be good at, I might as well make it dodgeball and give it my all. And so I started coming in every single night. I started running it when they left. Um, I started taking it over. And then eventually when they went on tour, because they were still in the band, um, I said, you know what, guys, why don't you turn over the reins to me and I'll run it from there. And so we ran underground dodgeball for the better portion of, I want to say, almost seven or eight years um, and we would run it a minimum of twice a week. We would run it as many hours as we could. We'd go from like 10.30 at night until sometimes 3 or 4 in the morning, depending on how many people would show up. Nice. At our peak, we would get like, I want to say 300 or so, 350 was our peak. So you can imagine full-size underground parking garage, 30 on 30, 30 on 30, 30 on 30, 30 on 30, with 20 balls in every single game, absolute organized chaos. And so uh, people started calling me the Dodge Father after I kind of took up the mantle from the guy who originally had that name, and it just stuck since then, so I figured I, w I would embrace the name. Um, when I first started, though, I, I thought that 
football gloves would be the way to go to help me with my catching because I was pretty bad at everything. And I realized pretty quickly that while they're okay for catching, in reality, they're terrible because they totally alter your release point when you throw. And I was just better off going barehanded. I didn't even know what tape was at the time. So so gloves faded pretty quickly and Dodge Father kind of took over and I embraced the persona because it's fun. You know, I don't take it too seriously. Um, but it was it was really neat to have that nickname and to kind of be known as, as a persona in the dodgeball community, especially in the Bay Area. That was a really cool feeling. So that's where the nickname originally came from. And that's where the underground originally came from. But um, it was it was not your average dodgeball. You know, imagine absolute organized chaos with hundreds of people. Um, no referees, all honor system, all pinch, 8.5, just total obliteration chaos. It was, it was an absolute ton of fun. I miss it dearly. That sounds awesome. I, uh, so I remember on MySpace, you guys are known as the underground dizzle, dizzle, bizzle. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason why that sticks out in, in my memory for so long. Cause it's, I thought it was yeah. hilarious. <laughs> I was like, who are these guys? And I, I, I must've been, I don't know if I messaged you guys or just was following you just trying to see, like, trying to find signs of life out there, uh, just trying to make, you know, contact. And yeah. uh, saw what you guys had going on. And the setup that you had really paralleled how we got our start. Like, it was uh, it was a concrete underground learning center. And the best way I can describe it was almost like a Coliseum feeling. And it, it was kind of yeah. not as crazy as you guys. Uh, we definitely had our 30-on-30, our 40-on-40 30 40 moments. And we definitely went from, like, 8 p.m. to, like, 2 in the morning until we couldn't walk anymore. And uh, we even pinched back there and back then, so I thought it was pretty crazy um, how other people were starting the to get their parallels. Start. Absolutely, yeah. and it it all seems to start with this like this random idea. I mean, the guy that thought of it for us, we, I think he was sober. Um, but <laughs> it's just like, hey, let's let's just gather some some balls, head, head to Walmart, uh, pick up some equipment, and, and play some dodgeball, and um, the rest is is history. But it's um it's crazy how parallels. So why did it, why did it end? Yeah, good question. Um, two, two major factors. One is you can imagine the liability that a parking, o- parking lot owner or property owner faces when you have 300 kids in his parking lot structure uh, late that. at night like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll tell you this. We did the absolute best job we humanly could have to, to curtail anything that would be a problem for somebody who was coming to look at us. So we had, I would say, dozens of run-in with the police. And every time, as long as we were behaving ourselves, it wasn't really an issue. I mean... Would you rather have 350 kids playing dodgeball in an environment that doesn't permit smoking or drinking or anything crazy or have them out in the street doing other things? So so we were okay on that front. But as a property owner, you can imagine the liability. Um, if you guys are familiar or if you're familiar with Westfield um, shopping centers, so they own like Valley Fair in California in the Bay Area. They own a lot of the largest malls in the country. They're a huge, huge, huge property owner company. Um, one of the 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 niece for the owner of the real estate company actually came to underground dodgeball about two years into our inception and we didn't know it at the time she actually told her uncle that she had been playing dodgeball in an underground parking garage and when he inquired where she was playing because we were playing in las gatas at the time she told him the location and it happened to be one of the shopping centers that he owned oh, of man. all of the crazy things in the world so i literally got a call from their corporate office and he flew all the way from the east coast to the west coast to meet me and basically kick us out as diplomatically as possible and since since that point we lasted another four or five years but we never had uh, a permanent home because it's just really hard how do you coordinate 
two or three hundred people a night without blowing it. You know, you have people that want to that want to come in there and do things that aren't that aren't just playing dodgeball, and it's really hard to police everybody and still be able to play. So. Our ultimate downfall was just that we didn't have permission. I mean, it was just a bunch of rowdy kids wanting to get together and play dodgeball. And no matter how you slice it, unless we've got insurance waivers and unless we've got an agreement to be there, like, it's just really freaking hard. Um, We actually, so in our last location, before we finally kind of disbanded permanently, we actually looked up the property management company and figured out what their company logo was. And somebody managed to draft a letter on their company letterhead and signed their company CEO signature authorizing us to play there oh, and then geez. gave it to the security guard on duty one night and we ended up playing for an entire summer off of that letter until they figured out that it wasn't real. So <laughs> we had a good run. <laughs> we, had, we had a very, very good run while it lasted. And, and I'll be honest with you, if we could ever get people back and I could get permission to go and play in an underground parking garage, I would absolutely spark my interest to get back in that again. Um, I miss it so much. It was just, it was like pure clean fun unadulterated dodgeball there was no drama there was none of the politics that come with a lot of the more organized sports or uh, it was it was just rowdy kids that want to get together and have a good time and that made it really fun there's a uh, there's something really pure about that it almost has like yeah. a like a fight club kind of feel yeah it got crazy with project mayhem right yeah <clears throat> we um so we had the same thing we had the same problem we got kicked out of the uh, u of a uh, learning center because unlike the Westfield properties, we had students that most of them were joining us. Like we, we people walk by, see what we're doing, and you could see that. And like hop that, in. Yeah, they have that like hungry look in there. I like, I want to do what they're doing. Like, yeah, screw studying. Yep. And um, but we got kicked out of there, and then we migrated to um, uh, this community college, the tennis courts, and you know, it felt like every time we had to move, we lost something in the process. We lost people. We lost the style we played. And then we kind of went a separate route because um, I would have I would have had a heart attack if everyone even thought to like forge somebody's signature. Um, I was such a <laughs> still am such a goody two shoes. There's no way I would even I would I just be like I can't have any part of this. I gotta leave. But uh, <laughs> so that, first of all, that was that was ballsy. But um, you know, for us, we decided to okay, we decided to look at all right. Well, what are we getting kicked out of? We don't have sanctioning. Okay, well, what does that even mean? Oh, it means we're not, we don't have insurance for something or we don't have like all these things that people don't normally want to go for that we decided right. to go for. And thus Tucson Dodgeball was formed and incorporated and all that, that fun stuff. But even then things changed. Like it was never the same after that. And I, it's, it's funny yeah. hearing you talk about how you miss that. Cause I, I miss it too. And it just, it's yeah, different. You feel like, I think a good way to describe it is you feel like it loses its innocence when you legitimize it in that way, because it was underground, I think. Yeah. And this is a shout out to people like like Jake Mason, people like Mark who run these leagues, um, the amount of prep and work that go into running a league and making it legitimate is astounding. I mean, I, I cannot believe how much thought and effort goes into that process for them. And it's tough because I miss the innocence that underground dodgeball had. Well, at the same time, I can respect the amount of work that goes into something like elite dodgeball, something like WeHo, something like Tucson dodgeball. Um, it's, it's a totally different environment and you have to be willing to give up one in order to have the other and and it's hard finding people that are willing to to make that leap with you we lost a lot of people when we tried to bring underground people to a rec league and have them form teams and play on a, on a set schedule they just they weren't interested in that they just wanted to show up whenever they wanted to show up and they wanted to have fun and play on a team with their friends or maybe not and they didn't want to be locked in for a whole season and so it wasn't the same it didn't it didn't work the same way um, and that's one of the problems that we faced when we tried to legitimize it, and we just we couldn't do it. We didn't have enough dodgeball here in the Bay Area. Even now, 
We have one rec league that plays no sting in the Bay Area, at least in the South Bay. And we have one league in, in San Francisco that plays no sting. And we have a league in Oakland that plays no sting. And, and that's it. There's no 8.5. There's no, there's no nothing. So it, it's really tough. You know, for me to get to dodgeball, I have one league that's five minutes away. And the other two are an hour, hour and a half through traffic to play for 40 minutes. So it just it's hard. Yeah, it's a couple of questions are, are coming to mind. Um, so it sounds like dodgeball is relatively limited, but then you have these monsters that are coming out of, and I, I look to you like you're my single uh, point of contact for Bay Area, uh, some yeah. pressure. But I look, I look to you for being responsible for people like Brody, um, Rolina, uh, Ryan, like these these guys that are just absolute monsters on the court. Um, yeah. Do they all come from that area, or are they? in different areas uh, of dodgeball or cities crazy story so so first off um even if i'm responsible for introducing them to elite and getting them interested in, in dodgeball in the more competitive sense they are responsible for their own success and they've, they've all done incredibly well i mean i'm i'm blown away i told ryan a long time ago i said listen i'm getting to be an old timer in the game and you're gonna you're gonna blow past me pretty hard so Take it in stride and enjoy the time you've got because you're going to be a rock star in the game. And what did he get voted? Like 15th in the nation or something like that in terms of the best guys? Like, good on him, man. Um, so, so that being said, people like Rolina, um, Angelique, uh, Patrick, uh, that whole group, they all came from underground dodgeball. They That's got awesome. introduced like the second or third week it happened. And the way we trained him is we literally put like Rolina and Angelique against a wall and we stood 25 feet away and we pinched them as hard as we could until they just couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> and that's why they don't, they don't fear anything. They are savage and it's awesome to watch them go out in the pro and actually excel. That's really, really cool for me, you know? And, and they took it seriously. They went out and they practiced and they practiced and they, they kicked ass and took names and all the more power to them, you know, watching Angelique play in Sin City where she played in the women's round and she got like what four or five lasting catches in the, in the finals match. Like that is exactly what I would expect from her. She kills it. Um, and then watching Ryan, we actually met them at a charity tournament and it was 8.5 pinch and they had never played 8.5 pinch. And the first game we played against them, I, f I feel kind of bad about this. I broke some dude's pinky, like snapped it clean. Oh. And, and that was kind of their first introduction to pinch and I didn't want to dissuade them from playing. I wanted to kind of bring them into the fold. So I invited Ryan to come and play with us on Death Ball. And he came and played with us on Death Ball. And eventually we brought Brody in too. That's how we got both of them in. And then unfortunately when Death Ball had to disband, they both went their separate ways. But they were already hooked. Like there's, there's no going back at this point. They're, they're dodgeballers for life. Which is great because I like seeing young blood like that come into the sport. We need Ryans and we need Brodies and we need Rolina and Angeliques. And we need people who are passionate about it and, and want to win to come into the sport. And they've got to introduce new people. Um, ultimately, I think that underground dodgeball was the catalyst for every Bay Area team that you see. And, and they kind of started to just, like a river, they just flowed and flowed. And they, and they kept introducing new people. Havoc. Um, Axios, which used to exist, Death Ball, which used to exist, um, Chick-fil-A, um, all of those teams, Ride or Die, um, or Ride or Buy, all of those teams originally came from the Bay Area, and a lot of those people were introduction originally from Underground. Underground branched out and, and talked to rad people and talked to World Dodgeball Society people in San Francisco and, and invited them to come play Delete, and now you have the Bay Area bringing like five or six teams every Elite, and that feels really good to have representation out there at Elite and know that we can compete with the best of the best. Oh, for sure. And the as you said, they're just getting better and better, and you're seeing yeah. more, like just I don't even want to say like clutch plays anymore, because like um, they're they're just expected. Like you're like yeah. I mean that they watching 
Bro or Angelique make these amazing catches, you're like, well, duh. I mean, that's that's what they do. It's still impressive. Yeah, like, Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, it, it's a cool. It's a cool feeling to know that when when somebody's in either on your team or, or against you, and they're from the Bay Area, that you think, you know what, they're not out of it. There's still a chance this is going to go their way. You know, you can never rule them out, and that's a really cool feeling. I like that feeling. For sure. So, um, <laughs> sorry if I. It's kind of like a play on words, but uh, so if you're if you're the Dodge father and these are your children, who's your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> I could not resist. Oh god, that that f- cracks me up. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> that cracks me up, man. Um, that's a really really good question. You know, I was really close with with David, who doesn't play anymore. Um, you know, he and I are cousins, and and we've been playing together for the better part of ten years. Um, but in terms of current elite players. Um, the one that I that I look up to the most, or that I think has the most potential continuing to go forward, is is Ryan. I mean, Ryan has has taken over in that corner position. Um, he plays for an excellent team. He's got a lot of he's got a bright future ahead of him. And then second behind him would be um, I think Brody's got a really really bright future ahead of him because he's just he's young too. He's he's got the energy. He's got he's limber. I mean, he's got that crazy, insane, absolutely wonky throw. Um, and he's he's a beast at any any ball that you give him. So give him some time and, and teach him some more about the sport. And I think they've got a long way to go. In in terms of women, um, Rowan and Angelique are obviously the, the standouts from the Bay Area. Um, and and when you put them together on a team, it reminds me of when David and I used to play together because we trusted each other and we played really well together. And I think they feel that same camaraderie, and that's a really cool feeling on the court. So so yeah, that's awesome. Um, so going back to the whole like Dodge Father thing, yeah. Why did you decide to to put that on your shoulders? Like, granted, you know, it's a and huge shout out to like Jake Mason and Mark and and Vince and everybody that's doing what they're doing because it's it's completely beyond what we thought was possible ten years ago, and it's amazing. It's very exciting what's going on, um, especially lately. But back in yeah, the, no back joke. In, shout out to USA Dodgeball, huh? Oh, for sure. Um, I, I've I've some notes to to get into that too. Um, but on that note, what you know, back in the day, it wasn't really. Uh, did you partake in any of the NDL? Quick question. Uh, events. We <laughs> we played in one tournament, and it was in Orange, California, and we played Rise back when Anthony Alessandro was on the team, and we got absolutely crushed. We played really well against everybody else, but we got crushed by Rise, um, and that lit a fire in uh, under me really really bad at that time that was back when sebastian was still playing oh, when Seabass wow. was playing yeah and so i remember that other than that we didn't participate in ndl and to be honest with you as much as i would have liked to be called a professional dodgeballer back then um based on the stories that i've heard about the way that ndl was run and some of the i'm actually pretty glad that we that we didn't like thankfully and i'm also glad that that caused mark to start you know usa dodgeball i mean when you start any type of the league right like when we started underground dodgeball like what what motivates you to want to run it day in and day out um you know mark doesn't run elite for profit Uh, we didn't run underground dodgeball for profit we went through and and we actually have the numbers on this we went through 800 dodgeballs in one summer that we popped um, and those, and we actually made custom-made underground dodgeball dodgeballs. And after burning through over 800 of them in the summer, you can imagine how astronomically expensive it is. It was for us to run, right? And so, so why do you do it? You know, you do it because you absolutely love the sport. And and even more than the sport, I would say. And, and this may be blasphemy, but I, I love the people. Um, the friendships that you make are irreplaceable. I mean, now that I'm part of the dodgeball family, I can go to the dodgeball family site and I can say, Hey guys, I'm going to visit Chicago or Minneapolis or New York. 
anybody hooked up with dodgeball there and I can find a game every single night that I'm out there and people to stay with and hang out with and party with. And that is a really cool feeling to have that network of friends here and abroad that you can go and see where you share a common interest. That's a really, really cool feeling. And so that camaraderie and that environment, it can't be duplicated or replicated. And it, it's, it's a whole, it's, it's just a different feeling. It's really cool. Definitely. The, um, so it was passion, really, because um, yeah. where I was going with the, with the NDL is like there wasn't really the NDL was. I mean, it's got its good points and, it, and it's definitely got its bad points. But there was like, okay, I, I want to run Tucson Dodgeball because eventually we'll become a chapter of the NDL, or I'm just going to do this long enough until uh, Dodgeball makes it, or whatever. But the, it's like yeah. you're kind of fueled not on that really. You're fueled on passion, and because no one else is going to do it, and people are enjoying themselves, and you're enjoying yourself too. When you're doing that, what was um, what was like the toughest part about that role for you, and why did you stick it through? You know, you I, I think I think the toughest. God, that's a really really good question. Um, the toughest spot for me was those people that never really embraced the the, the fun aspect of it. Um, you know, there were people that came and took it way too seriously. Or there were people that, that didn't come there with the right mindset and they ended up not enjoying it. And I, and I feel like there was it was a missed opportunity. Like that person that we brought there that, that didn't come for the right reason could have been the next, you know, Ryan or the next Roe or the next, you know, Pian or the next Ketchum or, or whomever you want to call them. Um, and that would have been really cool to bring one more person into the fold that would have been serious about the sport and really thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and you try when you run a league to make sure that every person that you possibly can enjoys it as much as possible. I mean, but you have to take the utilitarian approach, right? You've got to, it's got to be the greatest good for the greatest number of people possible. And in that, you, you lose some in translation. And that's, that's kind of a bummer to me. And that was probably one of the hardest things is people that you meet over the years that maybe didn't have the same passion as you did for it, or maybe were in it for a different reason. And then you kind of lose contact or they kind of fall out of the sport and you miss them, you know? Um, and, and people change when you play dodgeball for a long period of time, you know, life changes and, and those people aren't the same as they were before. And sometimes you miss that. Um, overall, the experience is worth it no matter how you want to shred it. But I still, it's still sad to see that happen. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, it's like a multiple levels, like, cause you, you identify that you need people to, to play, you want the sport to grow, but like you're just so joyed. Uh, you're just so happy with this thing. You want to share it with everybody, and you want everyone to yeah. feel as happy and and enjoy as much as you do. I can totally understand oh, yeah. that. Oh yeah, there's definitely a, a loss that you kind of you kind of feel when people don't come back and they're not joining the ranks and having as much fun as, as the guy next to you. Totally understand that. Um, so I guess my next question would be because um, you kind of talked about how if somehow you're able to do this again, um, the underground way, you would totally do it. But for oh, people yeah. that are, are struggling right now, um, you know, people that day in and day out, they're, they're putting in the work, but they, you know, they're, they're just, I don't know, they need some advice on, on continuing to do what they're doing. What would you, what would you provide them with or what kind of encouragement um, would you give? I'd, I'd send them to Jake Mason cause he knows how to run a friggin' dodgeball league. No, um, <laughs> I would, I would say, yes, no, not lying. I, I, yeah, right. I would say, I would say figure out the, the target audience and cater to your target audience like right now, um, when we did Underground Dodgeball, our target audience was anybody 
who just wanted to have a good time. And we didn't do a hyper-competitive league. Uh, we made sure that the, that the teams were as even as we could make them. We made the rules loose enough that it didn't ruin it for people. Um, start with start with your target audience and focus on just them and bring them into the fold and get them really loyal. You know, when we brought in people like Patrick and people like Rolina and Angelique and a couple other people, they were intensely loyal. They really, really enjoyed dodgeball. And they came every single week. And so that builds like a core group of people that you can you can bring into the fold. And as those people begin to introduce new people to the sport or they welcome people who hear about you randomly, that builds a bigger base of support. You know, at, at our peak when we were having 300 people a night, you know, 150 of those people were, were regulars. We would see them every single week, twice a week, and they would stay from 10.30 at night until 3 o'clock in the morning. So so cater to your base first. Figure out who your target audience is. Do you want to play a competitive league? Then find competitive players. Do you want to just have a rec league? Then just have rec players and focus your rules and your strategy on, on bringing in new players and everything on just those types of people. And then if you want to branch out, Work on that afterwards, but you need to have a base first because I've seen too many times where you'll start a league and you'll introduce rec players and competitive players and you'll try and mix the rules to appease everybody and then nobody's happy. Competitive players hate the fact that they can't go out and actually be competitive. Rec players don't have any fun when they're introduced to the sport and they get crushed. It's really, really hard at that point, you know? Yeah, it's a delicate balance. Yeah, and it really is. How do you introduce, how do you balance that act properly and it's really tough we had problems with you know world dodgeball society and sf for that exact reason and to be honest we as death ball when we were around were part of the problem originally and that's a bummer we were really really competitive and we came in and and we wanted to just win everything and that wasn't the spirit of the league and so we tried to adapt but at that point you had people that were like yeah let's be really competitive too well and we tried to back off and say well let's be a little more recreational and then all of a sudden you had this schism and it made it really really hard for them to balance between both so you know fortunately that tends to happen but if you're going to focus on a new league and you want motivation you know a grind get out there and, and word of mouth is the absolute best advertising that you could ever imagine um we were out twice a week advertising we would drop colleges flyers off at colleges we would have like mailing lists we would have phone call text lists we would have craigslist ads we would have facebook ads we would have anything you can imagine that we could do to go and promote dodgeball we would do um and it ended up building to the point where we didn't need to advertise it anymore so you've got to get that critical mass and then focus on the type of people that you want and cater to those people invite them back make them feel welcome introduce them to everybody else at dodgeball build relationships with those people so that they want to come back and be a part of this group or something bigger than themselves and they will come back it will absolutely happen it's good advice um you would think something as simple well, i won't say as simple but something as common sense as pounding the pavement and letting word spread and letting people know you're out there would be something that dodgeball players would consider um but it's funny because I, I, mean, I guess i can only speak for myself really uh but we never really did that we, we thought word of mouth was the best way to go we try to you know capitalize on every tournament that was going on and bring yeah. our like ambassador team or what have you uh yeah. but i wonder like what if we made like a legit concentrated effort to like just storm the u of a with flyers and just and not not try it once and then give up because we definitely did like once or twice yeah um yeah i mean that that's you just kind of like you said you got to grind and and think about the long term now um let me uh let me backtrack a little bit so are you currently playing um elite or yeah what's your your situation (laughs) you you ask a good question i told 
I told Mark that I was kind of considering whether I should play in the North or play in the West this this upcoming year, and and it's not because of anything in the West. It's just because I love pinch. Um, when I step on the court and play open eight point five, like it's fun, but I, it doesn't ignite my passion. When we when you step on the court and you play pinch, that's another level in in my opinion. And I know a lot of people don't like pinch, but I think pinch is the most visceral, hardcore, unforgiving technical form of dodgeball and i know a lot of people disagree with me because they say well it evens the playing field and anybody can throw hard when you pinch and nobody can aim them and, and i look at a lot of people who pinch nowadays and you're right i mean they can throw them really hard in a lot of cases but they can aim them aim them but when you find a player that is legitimately good at pinch and can place the ball where they want to place it and do the things that some of these top level pinch players do i mean shout out to just about everybody in the north it's another level of dodgeball, and it's incredibly exciting to watch, and even more exciting to play. Um, so, so that's kind of where where I go with that. I'm actually going to play in both regions because I just I need to have some more pinch. And I was really hoping we bring it to the West Coast, but I don't think there's nearly enough interest for it, which bums me out. Mm-hmm. So I'll play in the West with Riot this year. Um, shout out to Mark and all those guys. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'll also play in the North with uh, Kevin Wynn and Final Justice for for round two and round three. And then uh, wherever Nationals is at, I'll be happy to play pinch there as well. So I'm just really looking forward to, to ripping someone's head off with a pinch. <laughs> I uh, just, I oh, man. I believe you'll do it. Um. <laughs> I still have, so funny, man. I still have that picture from NorCal State Championships, which were pinch, where I'm doing the backhand pinch. And I can see, I think it's you and one other, you and maybe Mason Shank doing the, oh, what the, what the frick is, like, shut the front door. What is this thing coming at me? It's a pretty, it's a pretty funny picture of, of back in the NorCal State Championships. Was I think it was the first time I ever met you guys too. Yeah. Um, you, uh, that you, was that. Yeah. I was gonna say that that picture is seared in my brain. Like I, <laughs> I was gonna say like I remember when I when I stepped in the ring with you, but like <laughs> holy crap, that was a rude awakening. You, I remember we high fived afterwards, and, and you were like, uh, you were like, I don't even know what that was, and I said that was my offhand. Sorry, man, I can't aim it nearly as well as my as my regular throwing arm. You That's, just laughed at me and walked away. Yeah, that, and, and, and secretly I'm thinking that was his offhand. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that was a. Uh, I mean, you made Mason flinch, and then I like the way the picture's set up. It looks like I reacted after the fact. Like okay, I moved out of the way, but really the ball just missed me. Thank God! Like uh, oh, that was just, that was so fun. Yeah, and because I, I, I walked I away from it. that, but yeah, that yeah. Was, and that was that was my first introduction to Elite too. Uh, Mark actually scouted us from Underground Dodgeball ads. I, at least I think that's how he heard of me. Otherwise, I think maybe an Elite player went down to the the Bay Area and actually came to UDB and then heard me give my one of my spiels while I talked during UDB and. Uh, underground Dizzle and actually went up to Mark and told him about me, and Mark messaged me and said, hey, I'd really like it if you would come out and check out this Elite Dodgeball tournament. Tell me what you think. Nice. So NorCal State Championships were the first tournament that we ever went to, um, and we had such a good time. I mean, total learning curve. We had never played anything like that before in our lives. Like, Underground Dodgeball was no hard lines because there were so many people on the court you couldn't keep track of it anyway. It was dirty blocking. It was pinch. So, so Elite was was far and above a totally different type of dodgeball, and I'm glad that there is that form to, to you know, really reward people who are willing to play technical, solid dodgeball. Um, but it was a big learning curve for us, and we went in there and had just a ton of fun, and I thought, yeah, we're definitely coming back for this again. And so we've been a staple of it ever since, even if not just in death ball form, but in, in any other form. Nice. And was Crisis, were they part of you guys also? Good, good question. So, Crisis was okay. 
the first time that we ever went, we invited. So I already had a death ball team set up. It was like me, David Cox, Davy Blake. Um, it was Pat Guevara, a um, couple other people. And we went as our own team and we told Crisis, you guys need to come to this and check it out because we wanted them to see what Elite was like. And they came and they brought a couple guys. They brought like Josh DeLeo. They brought Ryan. They brought, I think they brought Brody that tournament. They brought, I think, um, Tad. I think they brought Phil. And they didn't have nearly as good a run of it as we did because we were used to pinch. It's what we played. And they really didn't didn't do pinch as much. So a couple of the guys got discouraged and, and didn't want to play elite anymore. And so they dropped Josh and they dropped Phil. Uh, and we ended up picking up Ryan and Brody after losing a couple of our guys. Um, and that's how the death ball that most people know for the majority of years that we played ended up becoming a team was was the the combination of crisis and death ball. And you probably notice in UDC the past couple of years um, that either Davey played with me on crisis a couple of years ago and then I played for crisis uh, two years ago. Uh, and then this last year, um, neither one of us did. But uh, but the, we've always had kind of a close close knit bond after meeting at that charity tournament, um, and and so that's kind of where the, the the crisis death ball thing came from. I'm still you know really good friends with with people like Ryan, um, and I, and I'm really excited to see him kind of grow as a player and and do the things that he's doing. It's really fun to watch. Nice, that's kind of cool because I um, 2013 and this was the last National Dodgeball League World Championship and Convention. Yeah, uh, there was like. 12 teams i'm not even not even joking at all it was like 12 teams there was like four pools it, it was just like awful I, I can probably do like a whole podcast and why it was just such a badly run tournament that's what i've heard yeah. I, you know i talked to serge at length about it and he 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 shares the same sentiment uh it was just a, a complete joke and um but but the, i remember crisis was there and the reason why i remember them so well was because i, I, I from what i could recall they were a brand new team and they looked really crisp. Like they looked like they had, I mean, they had a, a good uniform uh, set. They had like matching shorts, like of all the things to like really notice, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm checking out what dudes are wearing as, as shorts, but I, I felt. <laughs> <laughs> they were the right length. They were just above the knees. Yeah. I must have my, really my tape measure of like, oh, this is perfect at the seam. And <laughs> this is a good team. I can tell you. Um, except, except Tad. Tad always wears them way too high, but that's okay. It's Tad. <laughs> Way, way too high. That's, oh, I'm going to look for that those now. Those creamy hamstrings. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> well, I, uh, I remember watching them. I was like, oh, man, this this poor this poor team, they got duped. Like, they probably spent a lot of money com- to come down here, and they're playing this awful tournament. But then, you know, why am I here? But first, but you know, back to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's not think about me for a second. Um, but I, I was just like, that sucks. Like, you had a brand new team that, is like obviously they played dodgeball before and they're they're down to come into the the fray so to speak but they come to this like crappy crappy tournament and it was like man talking about like how you hate to see people go that's what i felt for them i was like man this sucks they'll, they'll probably never come back and then yeah their, their first foray into 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 ndl or, or quote-unquote professional dodgeball just is a bad representation of the sport overall yeah and it's uh yeah it's a relief to know that they stuck it through i don't i don't know why i cared so much i think i was just like man this this sucks this used to be a good thing now it's not and we didn't have elite at the time so that's probably why because it, it kind of signified where dodgeball was going at that moment yeah yeah, but uh, and and, cool. and you you probably share the same sentiment that I do, which is when you see a, a new team that comes together and they're willing to put as much effort as that team was, i.e., matching uniforms and registration. You're like, okay, 
those are the kind of that's the kind of commitment. Those are the kind of teams that we want to come to elite or that we want to make. We want to bring into the fold professionally because they are going to be the teams that maintain that level of integrity and sportsmanship and professional conduct and all that. Those are the teams that you want. When you get those teams of ragtag guys that are like, "Whoa, we just kind of threw the team together and we're all just here to have fun and whatever afterwards," like, yeah, it's cool. You get to play dodgeball against new people, but in reality, that that doesn't help the longevity of the sport. You want committed people who are willing to organize and create teams that are going to be long-lasting. Look at the status of Elite right now. If you look at the top teams that exist today, i.e. Rise and Doom, they are the teams that have the longest history of remaining with it with a consistent roster and practicing together. I mean, Rise have been practicing together for, what, 14 years now, since 2004 or something like that? Um, absolutely insane. And it shows, right? I mean, they're one of the most technically gifted, or, or I should say disciplined teams that exist today and, and doom are so athletically gifted and so mentally acute when it comes to playing dodgeball um because they've played together for so long that it really shows and so you get teams nowadays that come in and they get frustrated by not not placing well their first tournament and they've never played together before and you're like nope it's not how it works man like you have to put in the work if you want the results and you know these teams have done it and there you go that's awesome and that, yeah. i mean brody and ryan are a testament to that like they stuck it through yep. and now look at them Yep, absolutely. Absolutely agree, man. Yep. Um, that's funny you say, like, consistency and, and practicing together and staying together. Like, that was um, one of the cool takeaways I took away from when I uh, talked to Tim Fullerton from Rise. Like, he said, um, you can be a team that's, like, just on the cusp of you're about to have that breakthrough where you're going to perform very well. You've been playing, like, for two years, and then uh, if you just say, oh, we didn't we didn't place this time, we're going to call it quits or, or what have you, like, you don't know how close you were to, to achieving that like synergy. And so you're, you're absolutely right. Like you have to stick together and practice and you just have Those to Those words are haunting given, given the fact that death ball doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. I mean, we, we placed, we placed third overall in the West behind some very stick, stiff competition, you know, two years ago. Um, and we, we took third at one of the turn at one of the rounds with when I had an injured thumb and couldn't even finish out the round, we took third with five with five guys. Um, so so to to your to your question, like what happens when you practice together regularly? Absolutely, we tried we tried having regular practices death ball, and and you know most people don't know this, but Ryan and Brody live in Sac, and we live in the Sunnyvale Mountain View Bay Area, and we're, we're two two and a half hours away and we would still find a way to to get to each other at least once a week and practice for a couple of hours shout out to those guys though because to be honest they, they made more trips than we did um and, and they were committed to the cause so but yeah we noticed a difference and it actually it actually made a huge difference to see us practicing together and and as a team uh, and and to think what we could have accomplished had we had maybe one more season or if we had practiced one more day a week or, or who knows one more hour a day who knows what um, we would have done yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, but but no regrets. I mean, we we played our hearts out, and you know, we were a very competitive team, and, and I was really happy with our guys, and I think we did a great job. You know, could we have gone farther? Maybe. You know, time. Unfortunately, we'll never know. But who knows? At some point in the future, if if things fall apart with the other teams, maybe we'll get some guys back together and have a run at it. Who knows? Yeah, just leave it open. At the very least, I mean, you're still competing, and so is everybody else. So that's I think that's what we're <clears> truly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so speaking of that, like, how do you, um, kind of a little bit of a segue, how do you balance, uh, you know, a career, uh, being a husband, uh, are you still doing MMA by chance? Yeah, I am. <laughs> how do you balance all that stuff and dodgeball and, uh, just make it work, I guess. 
I don't. No, I'm just <laughs> no. I'm totally kidding with you. Um, I, I got to be honest. My my career is one that is. Um, it, I I absolutely thoroughly enjoy what I do, and it allows me the flexibility to be able to do all the other things that I like. So that piece of the puzzle is for a lot of people kind of the most core piece. Um, and because it ends up fitting in so perfectly, it makes everything else a lot easier for me. Um, my wife happens to be the, the second most, the, she's the most important piece of the puzzle, but she happens to be um, the second piece of that puzzle in terms of in terms of uh, um, the finance piece. And, and she's been supportive of me from day one. Not only is she my biggest fan and travels to all the tournaments, but she plays. And having nice. a wife that is interested in the same things that you are is absolutely fundamental to having that that relationship look at some of the longest lasting dodgeball relationships that you can think of um, a really good example would be vincent and layla right i mean they're both amazing dodgeball players they're both sweethearts um and they play dodgeball together they have for a long time look at like glenn and elisa look at like uh Pian and, and kelly right they all have played dodgeball together um and apart and they all have a passion for the sport and and to be honest the fact that my wife enjoys dodgeball you know as much as i do is absolutely one of the things that keeps me in it because to have your your best friend your your partner come to those tournaments and root you on is a really cool feeling that that is it's irreplaceable and i can imagine how difficult it would be if i didn't have somebody that had that had my back in that way so once you have the job that gives you the time and the freedom and and the, the finances and the wife that's supportive or the partner that wants to see you succeed and is willing to be your your biggest partner it makes it a lot easier to balance everything else, you know. Um, I can coordinate, you know. I can I can fight on the weekends, and I can do everything else around the schedule that I need to. But if I need to take a weekend off and go travel for dodgeball, it I can do it. If I can I can get it done, it's not that big of a deal, which makes life a lot easier for me. Do I think that there'll eventually be a day when when you know we have kids and maybe it makes it hard for me to do that? Yeah, but you know, if you love the sport, you'll figure it out, right? I mean, where there's a will, there's a way. That's how we made dodgeball at the underground work for so many years. You just had that tenacity to to make it happen, regardless. Yeah, a really good example. Like, look at look at Vince and Layla bringing Baby Bumblebee to to tournaments when you know he's he's six months old or a year old, right? Wrap him up in netting and put him behind <laughs> everybody else and go out and kick dodge ball and you know I think that, that, that's awesome. You know, they're committed to to their kids and you know they're amazing parents and they're also committed to to playing the sport and they can balance both, which is really really cool. It is. I mean, it's I mean no, oh, good. Yeah, I was going to say, a little, little word of note. I mean, if we have a little guy, like, he fits in a dodgeball bag, I can I can ship him on a plane. It'll be okay. Perfect. <laughs> just just crack the bag open for air, and I'm sure he'll be fine after an hour or two. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, just give him a straw. He'll be fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say, it's no different than, you know, when um, your dad take, took you to a softball game. You know, I imagine softball is like our, or dodgeball is our version of softball. Yeah, yeah right. right? My dad's still playing. He's like 63, 64, and my grandpa's no still playing. He's like 80. I'm like, well, I hope I can do that with dodgeball because at some point I'm going to have to probably stop. But um, maybe there's, there's like a lighter version because you just have that drive to do something competitive. And if it's something you love like dodgeball, it's going to be really hard to let go of. Yeah, you can't. When, once you get the feeling of the adrenaline kicking through your body when you're the last one in an elite tournament or when when everything's on the line, you, you'll never get that feeling out of your body. And and the adrenaline high that you get from winning is incredible. When I did when I when I did Showdown, you know, three years ago or whenever I did it, um, and I made it through and and won the West title, like the feeling of just that immense pump of energy and adrenaline that you get is indescribable. It's such a cool feeling. So what what pumps your what gets the adrenaline going for pinch. you? Pinch, pinch. But what's, I just, what specifically like 
<clears throat> a ball almost hits you in the face or you crack somebody or all of the above? Everything. Everything. All of the above. So here's the thing. Um, what, what if, if I step on the court with somebody who is, you know, okay at pinch, then, you know, it's still fun to play pinch cause I can throw hard and, and that, but when I step on the court against somebody who is legitimately good at pinch like that, there's this feeling that comes over you. Um, and, and I, you've probably experienced it. And I'm sure a lot of people have where you're like, nope, you're in my court now. And, and I'm going to end this. Um, I remember nationals, um, in new Orleans two years ago and, it was I was playing with uh, with Ketchum and Ryan and a couple other guys in pinch and we were playing Kraken and I remember it was me versus five of them. It was like it was like um, Kelvin, um, got a bunch of them, Mark Trapetti, a couple other guys, um, and I remember going one v five on them and like this adrenaline just kicked into me and my mom was watching from the top floor and Amanda was watching, you know, from the side of the court and all my teammates were out there watching. And I just went absolutely ham, like just one after the other. And I remember when it was all done, um, I remember like this primal rage that just filled me. And this, I just, the guttural scream that happened as I slammed the ball into the ground. And you want to be like a professional dodgeball player and you want to be, you know, composed. But man, when that adrenaline hits you, what a feeling. Um, That was really cool, you know. And I walked up afterwards to the guys and I was like, that was an amazing game, you know. And they're like, yeah, we kind of expected that was going to happen. I don't, we don't know what to do against you when you when you turn into the one man army, and and it doesn't happen all the time. But everybody gets that moment, you know. You get that moment where you just go absolutely ham on somebody, and it feels really really good. But that adrenaline that you get when you when you have that highest level of competition against the best players, um, and for me, it's that one on one or that one on X where I have the chance to to do my thing against those players is really really fun. So when that happens, do you have like? Yeah, it's. It, do you recall like what's going on in your mind? Like, are you actually thinking I'm going to, you know, rip this ball, duck, catch this other one, and then yeah, run forward, catch this other guy? No, you nope, just, just... absolutely, nope. It it's in the moment, absolute mental clarity. It's it's weird. It's almost like a clairvoyance. Um, I think I the probably one of the only people that I've witnessed do it. Um, a person that's really good at the mental aspect would be Tim Fullerton, right? Dude's probably one of the smartest dodgeball players I've ever watched play in terms of his court awareness, the way he thinks. But in terms of the the the, the visceral mental acuity when you're in the middle of a game, um, Glenn Spacer is probably one of the best people to think about. Watch the intensity that he plays with when he's either the last one in or when he plays pinch and he know and he, he just he has that that fire about him. It reminds me of that. Like you get this this indescribable feeling of invincibility. Like you step on that court and it's you versus three or four other people and I don't care who they are on the other side of the court when it's pinch. I truly believe that I am going to win that match and there's no way that they can beat me. And I think it actually makes you a better player. Um, it, it's crazy to think. You hear stories about people who have superhuman feats of strength when when under in amazing circumstances. And I think it's true in dodgeball when you have those types of games on the line and those types of really amazing plays. I feel that way when I get on the court and play pinch. Like there, There's no pre-planning what's going to happen. It's I'm in the moment right now. This is exactly what I need to do. And, and I trust myself that I'm going to deliver and I'm going to perform. And it ends up, you know, it ends up working out most of the time if you trust yourself and, and you're committed to, to that. Um, sometimes it doesn't, but man, is it a cool feeling. Definitely is. So when you step on the court, it, like you don't summon that feeling. It just happens. Yeah. It, it, you, you gotta get, so you, you gotta get there. There's gotta be something that triggers it while you're playing. You know, um, it's hard for me to 
get hyped before the game unless there's a match coming up that I that I know that we need to perform in because of X. But for most of those games, especially in open, it's like, okay, let's get hyped up, let's get on the court. And, and I have a hard time getting into that zone unless something triggers it. But once we play pinch and, and I step on the court and I and I feel that first ball fly by me or or I grip that first piece of rubber, like it just it just fills you with that energy. And you just know that that it's going to be an amazing game. Hmm. I remember when we first, I, I was dead beat after playing nationals this past year in Boston, and I remember the second we started playing pinch, the first time I threw a ball, I, I remember just screaming like, "Oh my god, let's pinch!" And everyone was like, "This dude's absolutely freaking crazy! Like, what is what is he smoking right now?" And, and even even Amanda was like, "I don't know what got into you all of a sudden, but it was like a demon came out in you." And and that's that's the feeling that I think a lot of these players get, even if they don't express it. Have you ever watched Ketchum when Ketchum goes off? Like Ketchum gets in the zone and he just doesn't stop. He just gets in that zone where he's like, "I don't fear anybody that's here, and I'm going to blow a hole straight through all of you as hard as I possibly can." Yeah, I, I, I know what that. Yeah, I know what that feeling is like. It, I mean, and you play with him probably on a regular basis because he's in your area. But but I know that feeling when it comes to something like pinch. You know, I, I don't I don't know it as well in open, but but I know that feeling in pinch, and, and it's such a cool feeling. It can't be replicated, um, and it's 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 just it's indescribable. I love it. So the reason why I'm, I'm latching on to this one topic just a little bit, a little much is, uh, do you feel that or was in, in MMA, and do you have any other martial arts experience? prior to that yeah it's a good question so so when i say mma there are so many forms of, of martial art that, that i use the term mma because it, it's such a catch-all but but when you are competing with somebody in mma yeah you get a similar feeling to that um the difference is that i'm much more confident when i play for example pinch dodgeball because i have way more experience doing it and there are a lot less people people who are competing that have the kind of experience that i do um when i go to fight mma the there are any number of people that exist out there that could absolutely kick the living, you know, out of me because of the fact that they train harder. But I, but I train a little bit of everything: Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, no gi. Um, I train technical boxing, a little bit of panjo. I do stand-up. I do takedown. I do fighting on the ground. Yeah, pretty much a little bit of everything. I don't do it as much as I used to. But when you spar, because we don't spar with pads where I train, we, we spar with just gloves. And if you get kicked in the head, like you get kicked in the head, just don't get kicked so hard. Um, it, it, when you actually compete and you spar with somebody, it triggers some of that feeling. Um, and when you hit pads successfully, and when you actually fight, when you when you get the adrenaline pumping, that's that's uh, a, uh, probably a similar feeling uh, in my mind. That mm. is, which is which is really really cool. You know, um, the one thing you learn, and I think this carries over to dodgeball when you train martial arts or when you play dodgeball, is you know the the sportsmanship and the respect you have for the people that you're competing against, right? Because I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't have awesome people to play with and, in some cases, more importantly, to play against, right? Like, if I wasn't playing teams like Doom or teams like Rise, <clears throat> um, they wouldn't they wouldn't motivate me to, to play better and be better so that I could beat teams like Doom or Rise. So, you know, shout out to, to those guys because they do an awesome job of that. And it's the same in MMA. Like, you know, I, I pay my instructor to literally kick my for you know an hour whenever we train and i thank him afterwards you know i respect him for that uh, it, it's similar in dodgeball gotcha um so i'm gonna sound like a huge nerd but uh there's a concept uh in japanese martial arts known as mushin and that's basically it's a state of being where you you literally have no mind like you just completely wig out and you just go full combat mode 
and it's kind of like what you're describing where you just you're just on everything that can go well is going well you're just you're not thinking about the moves that you're making the next thing Similar you know, to uh you win all right all right let, let's get let's get super nerdy for a minute is it kind of like ultra instinct and dragon ball super uh, that's where I'm going to step off. I've never watched Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my childhood just kicked in for a minute. All right, is, is it like Bruce Lee when he says, be like water? Yeah, so it's like... I got um, you. Yeah, I be got like you. water. Um, yeah, I was wondering if, if maybe you'd encountered that, that, not that phrase, but that concept or that type of like state in martial arts. Because um, it's also, it's like just being in the zone. Like you'll you'll hear athletes say, you know, I was in the zone and I was unstoppable or, you know, they'll, they'll do these crazy amazing plays where... You know, they're feats of almost superhuman strength, and they're just so, like, their performance is just as perfect as it could be. And it's surprising to think that it might just be instinctual at that point. It's not, you're not calculating every single little minute movement yeah. that you make. You're just kind of feeling it as, as you go. I think that's where the best players, and I think that's where the best plays come from, to be quite honest with you. Um, if you look at almost every amazing play that you see, a lot of the times they're not calculated. They're, they're reactions from somebody who's in the moment and feels the game. Um, if you overanalyze everything that's going to happen, a lot of the times you'll make mistakes because you're too rigid when you play. And it's the same thing when you fight. Um, when I when I think about what, what I'm going to do when I'm sparring somebody, it telegraphs my intentions and it makes it really easy for them to read my movements, right? Whether it's whether it's a slide step or whether it's a step back or whether it's a left kick or whether whatever it might be, um, you can telegraph those moves really, really easily. Um, Michael Jalil White does a really cool segment on this where, where he shows Kimbo Slice about telegraphing moves. And it's, it's interesting to see, you know, you learn it when you do boxing and it takes years and years and years and years to master, but it's, I don't think it's indifferent from dodgeball. When you sit in that, on that court and you overanalyze everything that's going on, it's almost like paralysis by analysis and you end up not making the right choice versus being comfortable on the court with what's going on and understanding that you need to be ready for whatever comes at you. You you see it all the time with brand new dodgeball players, especially if you go to like a rec league, they'll sit there and it looks like a deer in headlights where they're trying to figure out what's going on. And then eventually they start overanalyzing everything that's going on. And then eventually they start to get comfortable and start to react and flow with, with the, with the game. And it's the same way when you fight, you know, you want to flow with the way that the fight moves. If it moves to the ground, you go to the ground. If it moves to, if it moves to kicks, you move to kicks. If it moves to punches, you move to punches. If you, if, oh, however it's going to move, you have to be comfortable going there. And you can never say, no, 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 I can't do that because it's not, that's not how it works in dodgeball. Right. You can't go to, you can't go to someone like catch them and say, listen, you can't be throwing it near my head because that's just not where I'm used to catching it so you got to hit me in the bread basket like it just doesn't work that way you know you need to be ready for whatever comes um, in martial arts as well as when it comes to dodgeball they both they both work similarly in that way as, as much as people would like to say uh no catch him you can't throw up my face um it doesn't work that way at least at least yeah. not in elite in, in rec leagues yeah sure um <laughs> but yeah i'm sure everybody would love to be like ah, hey andrew how about you, you know, just- it's funny through here whenever whenever i play catch them and whenever i play like like doom whenever i play rise whenever i play any of the teams that have big arms on them um i always walk up to them and i'll say do you guys know what my rule is and they'll say what's your rule and i say if it doesn't hurt it doesn't count so if you're gonna hit me i expect you to hit me with 100 percent of what you got otherwise i'll be offended like if, if you're not willing to put everything you have into playing against me, then that either means that I'm not good enough for you or it means that you disrespect me. And and I feel the same way when it comes to, to fighting, when I spar with people. Um, you know, so so I think that's really fascinating when you say that. Wow, that's uh that's pretty cool. That's hardcore, man. Yeah. I uh 
Glenn gave me that same spiel, well, not the same, but something similar. Like we were playing Sin City and I threw a ball and I think it like went near his face. And I was like, oh man, sorry, dude. I didn't mean to do that. Cause it's, it's a recreational fun tournament, right? Yeah. Not trying to hit anybody in the face or anything like that. And naturally I don't, I normally don't tend to do that anyway. So I felt especially right. bad. So I walked, ran up to Glenn. I was like, hey dude, I, I'm so sorry. Dude. I mean, like, I'm not trying to like headhunt you or anything like that. And he just looked at me. He's like, Steve, never apologize. And like, I was like, <laughs> yeah, dang. That's exactly <laughs> like Glenn. And, yep. Yeah, and I was like, I, I, I knew immediately what he meant by that, but I was like, dang, dude, that's pretty hardcore. Okay. Yeah. Got yeah, it. Yeah, I would never. It happens all the times in the rec leagues that I play in where people will throw like near my head and they'll go, oh, I didn't mean to. Listen, it was a good throw. I should have, you know, if you're going to throw it in my face, I should be trying to dodge it. And then the pro leagues, it's the same way. Like, we're there to play dodgeball. If it happens, it happens. You know, I'm, I'm not worried about it. Don't ever apologize for trying against me. It, that's a sign of respect to me. If I didn't, if I didn't try against my opponents, it meant I didn't respect my opponent, and that, like that isn't them. what dodgeball is all about. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I agree with Glenn 100% on that, and I think anybody that you play against will be similar to that. I mean, I remember playing against Rise first game, round two in San Jose last year, and the first throw... Uh, I backpedal and I start to trip and Tim Fullerton blows me up in the face, like just, just pancake completely obliterates me. And after the game, he's like, I'm so sorry that I, I did not mean to hit you. And Tim's not known for being a really, uh, uh, apologetic I, I person. Say, yeah, it's a good word to use. Um, he can be a jerk sometimes, or at least the outward appearance. And I happen to like Tim, but, uh, but I said, Tim, like, don't ever apologize. I, I would, I would expect you to take that shot if you have it, because that's what the sport's all about. Cause you know that I'm going to come for that same shot on you if I ever get it. So, you know, it's the way the game works. Yeah. I, um, I guess the last thing you want to see happen is like somebody like, you know, do like a quick little gentle push pass to you. You're like, cool. Thanks. That's, I'm kind of, yeah. <laughs> Can I? <laughs> oh God. Um, let's go back to pinch for a second. And um, what? Uh, and and Sergio uh, asked this question. He asks, uh, "What pinch player gives you nightmares, if any?" Ooh, that's a good question. So, so I will say this: Do I fear anybody who plays pinch? No, and I don't think that that if you are, I think if you're a true pinch player, that you don't actually fear anybody. Are there players that I definitely give a little bit more respect to because I know what they're capable of? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the one player that has hit me with a pinch that that still burns a hole in my thigh to this day is Mark Trapetti. Um, I remember that dude hit me in like round two of the North two or three years ago, and I felt it for like ten minutes afterwards. It was glorious. Like it, it lit a fire under my ass to destroy that guy. Um, I love playing against people like that. Um, playing against Glenn in pinch like you know that if you aren't on 100 top of your game he's gonna destroy he's, he's gonna destroy you your face is coming clean off of your body i don't care who you are um those are guys that i have a lot of respect for um i will i'll never say that i fear somebody in pinch because i think i can go toe-to-toe with anybody in, in, in the world when it comes to 8.5 pinch um and i think i always have you know i think i always think that i have the opportunity to beat them but I have a lot of respect for some of those players. Absolutely. There are a ton of guys in the North that play pinch like you would not believe, and I love watching them do what they do. That's awesome. I'm in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, like, what goes into making Kenny? Because there's, there's a specific type of person that's like, they'll get hit and be like, yeah, hit me hit me harder or do it again or or i'm gonna figure out how you did that so i can you know give it back to you 
you oh, see yeah. people that are going to shy away from they're like eh, this isn't really for me and there's just maybe like an in-between um i, I also want to ask like what makes you <laughs> but but that's kind of like a that's a bit of a loaded yeah. question i God. guess you um, know uh so, so if you had ever met me before I started playing dodgeball, you would not recognize the person that I am today. Um, I used to be like in high school, hands in my pockets, headphones on, hoodie on, like don't talk to me, I'm awkward. Uh, and I remember when I, when I started to take over dodgeball, um, I had to become an extrovert simply for the sake of it needs, I, I need to be the face of this organization. Um, and with that came the responsibility of being one of the, the, the most well-known players in Underground Dodgeball because I was there every single night and I was the guy that set up the games and I was the guy that explained the rules. And it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, where they say fake it till you make it. But I think fake it till you make it is stupid. I think it's fake it until you become it. Um, and so I would, I would not necessarily fake, but I would, I would make it seem like I was, you know, as well-versed as, as I, as I hope to show myself to be. And then all of a sudden... I- after several months or years of doing it, there I was. Um, and after a while, you kind of think to yourself, you know, when you've competed against somebody, like think about 99% of the people on this earth, they've never been hit by a dodgeball really hard. They've never been punched in the face when you fight somebody. They've never been kicked. They don't know what it's like to get choked out. They don't They don't have any, any idea what it's like to be out of your comfort zone. Um, when we train in my fight academy, you know, they they come from a jujitsu academy where their their motto is welcome to hell and the second that things start to hurt and the second that things are uncomfortable the second that guy's got you inside control and he's grinding his shoulder into your jawline and feels like it's breaking your neck that's when you really start to train you know mike tyson says i I, or muhammad ali would say i would do you know push-ups or sit-ups until it hurts and i would only start counting once it started to hurt because that's when it really matters and they're absolutely right and if you have that mentality and you've been doing it for that long that's when you get you have the grit to go up against those players and when they hit you you want them to come back and hit you harder so you can get better and better and better and i think pinch exact it amplifies that that effect that that desire to want to go out and just crush somebody as hard as you possibly can and bring the best level of competition that you humanly can it's a very very cool feeling but you have to you have to know what it's like to be outside of your comfort zone um you know look at some of the players that have zero fear when they're out there playing ketchum has no fear when it comes to throwing balls at him because he expects that he can catch anything that comes at him and if it hits him it's not going to hurt him Um, look at vince like when vince falls back and slides and and he slides on his ass tries to catch like he has zero fear about that ball he'll never shy away from it or look away from it it's just not programmed in his body it's not the way that he works and then look at some of the newer players or some of the players that aren't as experienced and you can tell there's there's a level of intensity that gets turned on or off given the experience they have and their desire to win and it's really fascinating to watch that's awesome it's uh, it kind of yeah. goes back to that men- mental decision before the game like i'm better than everybody here i'm gonna win i'm gonna you know take these guys out Starts, yeah. starts from mental, I guess. Um, yeah, and when I step on the court playing like open, you know, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not the best player that's out there, right? I mean, I, I, I want to be better and better and better every day, and, and but if I go in there with the mindset that I will perform my absolute best, and when you step off the court, you will know that you have played against me. That that's that's good. That's a great place to start. When it comes to pinch, I feel totally different because I have more experience there, and I feel like I'm a much better player, but. But I still feel like that mentality needs to follow you. You have to find some way to get that confidence and that drive in you from the very beginning. And then you have to go out there and you have to practice. Only reason why I can I can pinch anything like I can is because we did it for four or five hours a night, twice a week, 
for five or six years. Um, I mean, imagine how sore you think your hands get after playing, you know, one round um, of pinch, either in nationals or whatever. And then imagine we did no breaks for four hours of pinch, and you would throw two or three or four times as many balls because you were playing with, you know, ten times as many people, um, and you did that twice a week. So, I mean, your hands were just, I mean, like rocks. It was incredible. Um, and then you go into these games, and, and you realize most of the people haven't gone through what you've gone through to get where you're at. And it instills you with a lot of confidence because you've been there. You know what this is like. You you don't fear it because you've seen it before. That's awesome. Speaking of hands of rocks, uh, do you have calluses on your hands? And <laughs> I I have I have a couple of permanent calluses. Yeah. Uh, when we would so when we would practice pinch, um, the first like two weeks that you would practice, the first night you would blister so bad that you couldn't do it for more than an hour or two before they popped. Then we'd kick you out because we didn't want you bleeding on the balls. The next week you would come back, or later that week you would come back, and you would start to tear the skin off of your knuckles because every time you pinch, you drag your knuckles into the ball when you make that fist. Um, and then the calluses on your fingers would pop again, and you'd have a blister on a blister. Uh, and then eventually, once both of those things started to callus, you'd have big, rough, nasty calluses on, on your fingers and on your knuckles, the first, the first two um, on your pinching hand. And eventually... That was it. At that point, it didn't matter what you pinched or how much you pinched it. Your fingers were practically invincible. Um, look at players like Bailey. Kevin Bailey is probably the number one endurance pinch player that I have ever seen. You probably remember him playing against like Doom back in Nationals three years ago, and that game went on for almost fifteen minutes until you know Vince eventually said like I just I can't I can't pinch this ball anymore I just I can't do it, and Bailey was still just a stud man. Um, that that type of endurance just comes from putting in the work, and I don't care if you do the rice bucket, I don't care how you do it, but you've got to do it. I prefer to go to a parking garage and just just pinch as hard as I possibly can and just rail a wall repeatedly until my fingers bleed and I can't do it, and then come back two or three days later and do it again and then two days later do it again until eventually i just i can't i can't cause damage to my fingers anymore um but yeah we would have absolute rock hard crazy fingers it helps when you do jujitsu too like i would do jujitsu and i would be doing like you know the guard pass or something and you, you absolutely cannot break somebody's grip when they have that you know my sensei has been training for the better part of of 20 years of jujitsu and when i get a solid grip on the gi like it, they just it, you can't break it um and that's a really cool feeling too because you can kind of see the two map over to one another which is pretty neat hmm. and it all comes with uh just hard work and and practice yeah go, go figure yep. right yeah right that ended up being my nickname at, at uh at training too my nickname was dodgeball when whenever i would train jiu-jitsu or when i would train nogi <laughs> they'd call me dodgeball yeah anytime anytime we get someone in the grip whether it be like like a wrist grip or like a wrist lock or whatever it would be like a kimura it was always oh god there goes that dude's dodgeball grip again like this is not going to end well <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty good that's better than yeah oh, it was, there goes it was, the guy. It was like pretty fun yeah, I, I had a couple people asking me like oh well, what can we do to get that kind of grip strength and i was like pinch dodgeballs i'm not kidding you <laughs> And then you can go play while you, while you do it too. So Yeah, I tried bringing my guys out so many times, man. I got them to come out a couple of times, but I've never gotten my sensei to come out and play dodgeball with me, which bums me out. One of these days, I think we're going to try and make it happen. He'd get crushed, but man, he would have a lot of fun. That's awesome. Got to be an ambassador to the sport still. Anyway, right. Can. Do you, uh, to this to this day, I still try and bring in all the rec players that we that we meet from uh, the rec leagues that we play, and we still try and drag all those people out to come and play elite with us. Like you, you might know Tim Louie. Um, 
um, Asian guy plays on Havoc with a bunch of them. Like he's he's a convert from some of the rec leagues in the Bay Area. Dude's an absolute freak with it with a no sting ball, um, and he's he's a local convert too. We still do it to this day. You know, every single time we, we go out and we meet people who play dodgeball, we try and bring them into the fold. I don't think the the, the recruitment drive never stops, and that's a good thing. Yeah, we need that times you know a hundred to continue the sport. Yeah, absolutely. When um, so so Dave Doherty, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. He asked, uh, and this is a Daughtery. really good Doherty. So you might know. Yeah, him. we call him Double D. Double D. You clearly know him. Then <laughs> he asked, uh, he asked a question about if you have any like shoulder throwing mechanics um, that you can break down for for people that I guess are uh, breaking their shoulder. Like there's uh, what's the injury that's been going around? Um, Tim Wells had it. Paige had it. Uh, it's like a broken something. I can't think of it right now. But it's the result of pinching, and is it just like the hard work and the conditioning that you put your body through that's allowed you to do that? Or so I'm going to preface this conversation by saying that I am not uh, I'm not a sports medicine doctor, and this is not medical advice. But I don't think it has to do with pinching. I think I think it has to do with not pinching correctly. Um, I've been ragging on this arm for the better part of 12 years now, and it's I've never well, I'm gonna knock on wood. I've never broken it. Um, and I have had, you know, some some short-term shoulder injuries that have that have sidelined me for a little bit, um, but they're all normal in the normal in the course of playing a competitive sport. <clears throat> and I'm actually pretty pretty surprised my arm has held up as well as it has over 12 years. I would say that that make sure that you get the mechanics of your throw down right the first time that you do it, and don't deviate from that mechanic until you are solid enough at that one mechanic that you feel you can branch out. Really good example of this, you probably saw that dude who snapped his humerus on Facebook, in the mm-hmm. Facebook dog, the Dodgeball Family page. Um, that was from throwing pinch sidearm. That's a totally different mechanic from throwing it overarm, and you can't go directly from throwing it overarm to throwing it sidearm and expect that you're not going to cause damage to your arm if it's not ready for that level of motion or that type of motion. It just doesn't work that way. You can't. You can't. That's why you can't switch hands as easily as, as a lot of people can and throw with, with your opposite hand for an extended period of time without causing some kind of damage. You have to get your mechanics down right from the very get-go, and once you have the mechanics down, you have to work your way up to the point where you can rip on that arm in that same throwing motion as hard as you can repeatedly without causing permanent damage if you know uh chris brenton who is a a player from the bay area really tall guy has a wicked arm um he actually tore his shoulder he tore his labrum um because of the mechanics of his throw and i was talking to him uh when we were at sin city and and i said are you ready to get back in the game and he said well the doctor said i have to change my throw completely uh and i said well couldn't you just get surgery on the shoulder and he said yeah but the doctor says with the way i throw that i'm just going to tear it a month after i get the surgery so i have to completely change the mechanics of how i throw i I think that the vast majority of players who have shoulder injuries need to go back to the mechanics of their throw and they need to be okay with taking time to build up the muscle memory it takes to throw the ball properly then throw the ball really hard uh, there's no way when I first started that I could pinch anywhere like I can now, and that was okay. It took me years to get to the point where I could pinch it really hard repeatedly. And and now, pinch doesn't tire my arm out at all. My fingers get sore before my arm does. I, I mean, I can pinch for 12 hours in a day and still be okay because the mechanics are solid. Same reason why a lot of players can throw the ball. Look at Tim Fullerton. Tim can throw a dodgeball and be the last one in an entire, I mean, th- throughout an entire bracket of elite and not burn out because he's got the mechanics down properly. Nice. So mechanics and then, uh, I mean... Warming up is probably 
crucial, right? Especially when you're when you're transitioning from pinch to rubber or 8.5 to crazy pinch. thought. I and I don't. I've heard this go both ways. I've heard a lot of people tell that that actual stretching right before you play doesn't make a huge difference. It's consistent stretching every day, whether you are playing that day or not that is the most important and then i also hear warming up and, and cooling down between ball types or between rounds is really important the first part i don't i don't i don't know if that's true um i actually don't stretch a lot prior to my games and i don't stretch every day which i really should but the warming up and warming down thing i absolutely agree with like i cannot get into a game and just start ripping them as hard as i can without throwing it for a little while my cousin david he hops in the game first throw full power no problem doesn't throw his arm out like diff, different different ways of getting it done. Um, I have no idea how people can do that. I need to warm up a little bit before I before I play and get my mechanic down and remember what I'm doing. Then we're good to go. Once I'm warmed up, no problem at all. Um, but I, in terms of the stretching piece, I've heard that stretching every single day has a much 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 larger impact than just stretching before you play. And just stretching before you play will actually not really have a significantly beneficial effect. If anyone's a sports medicine doctor, you can chime in and tell me to shut the F up because I'm totally wrong, but you know. <laughs> you have to fact check that. <clears throat> yeah, you, you can fact check that. Yeah, I mean, it just, and, and I might be wrong, but it just seems like, at least in the beginning, you know, people view dodgeball as not a serious sport. It's something you just hop in and play and you expect to be good at because you played baseball in high school or whatever. And so... yeah. You know, concepts like, and cover this with Tim, like, you know, stretching, conditioning, uh, practicing, those are still, I feel like, kind of relatively new to most newcomers, maybe not elite level players. But it's like, just do what they taught you in Little League. Do what they, they taught you in, in high school and sports, use sports. Like, you, you have to condition, you have to practice, you have to right. warm up, you have to do all these simple things that should be staples at this point. Right. Think about the the range of the range of different skills necessary to play the sport of dodgeball. Um, you take you take the ability to throw a ball like baseball, but you need to be able to react immediately after or during throwing a ball. And your release typically needs to be faster than throwing a baseball for a lot of people because you don't have time to wind it up like that. And then you transition over to the idea of something like basketball, where you need to be able to you know shift your weight instantly, um, you know, and and move left to right. Lateral movements or vertical movements are incredibly important. Um, I or you know football endurance, where you need to be able to have that burst of endurance or that burst of adrenaline or that burst of speed or strength immediately at any one point in time right so so you take these these technical or these conditioning factors from different sports and you incorporate them into one sport which is dodgeball and it uses a totally different set of muscles a totally different set of skills a totally different set of senses and it really challenges the way that you incorporate all those different things together which makes it really fascinating um, from a technical perspective and really entertaining to watch from a spectator perspective. And I think that's really fascinating too, because you'll get a lot of people that have experience in other fields, baseball, football, um, water polo, um, handball, and they go, oh, dodgeball, I know how to do that. You just got to throw a ball really hard. Like, no, 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 you don't just have to throw a ball really hard. You need to do a lot of other things extremely well, as well as be able to throw a ball really hard and accurately and do it at the right time. It, it's a completely different level um, than most people give it credit for. And when you watch it played at the very highest levels, you see it. You see every technical skill that goes into making that happen. If you've ever watched Nate, when Nate will counter somebody and instantly drop um, to one knee and get ready for that catch, like that is a coordination of throwing, dodging, catching, moving at, at the same time that has come from 
an immense amount of practice and skill doing that. When you watch Tim Fullerton dodge three balls by sidestepping to the left perfectly, um, that has come from a lifetime and a decade plus of making that exact same motion. Um, those are those are skills that you only learn in that way from playing dodgeball and watching people who have performed them repeatedly. You know who's doing it. Um, when you watch Payan counter somebody when they're about to throw, he knows exactly who to counter and when to take that counter, and he's very successful at it. Um, that's because he's done it so many times. You don't you do not do those things in football or basketball and baseball, but you use the skills from all of those different sports in dodgeball. It's, it's really an amalgamation of all of those things. That is really fascinating from a technical and a spectator perspective, in my opinion. Definitely. And then not to mention the fact that the body does that, like, you know, mentally you want to do all these crazy maneuvers. And if you've practiced and conditioned yourself, you know, the mind will lead and the body will follow. So you'll do that. You know, I'm going to jump, catch this ball, land, plant, throw, then dodge and, you know, do all these things and then not walk away with like, you know, 30 torn muscles or or what have you, or, or be winded. Oh man, you ever watch uh, watch Alan? Like Alan doesn't do it nearly as much nowadays as he used to. But like when he played when he played in Worlds a couple years ago, um, and even recently, and and in his highlight videos, watching him dodge and contort himself in midair and then come down on his side and then go for a dodge and a catch, like it, it it's absolutely amazing to watch what the human body is capable of when the adrenaline is pumping and when your mind tells it this is what it needs to do to survive in this specific instance. That's really fascinating. Yep, and the body's like, all right, if you say so, let's do it. Yeah, like I, I okay, I'm not going to argue with you at this point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's that's so cool. Yeah, I think with Alan his body's held hostage. So he's just going to do it regardless like yeah, it later. right? Um well cool. I uh I just have one more question and um you might have got into it already, but I did want to ask uh to date, what is your favorite dodgeball memory? Man, that's a really really good I think I need to start like warning people that this is coming because it's uh usually have to like settle for like the first one that comes. God, there are there are a lot. You know, okay. Um, This ranks up there with the best, and and it may be the best. Um, There are so many underground memories that I would consider to be the best that I kind of lump them into one. And the experience of underground dodgeball is is you know always hold a very special place in my heart. But in elite. Um, th- there are two that come out to mind. One is is winning the you know the one the showdown in the West. Um, but I remember traveling to the North. I, I had met Glenn at Nationals the first year that I went, and we chucked it up about pinch forever. And he said, "Well, let me see what you're capable of. You know, do you want to come to the North and play with us sometime?" And I thought, "Oh my God, yes!" And I remember I went to the North and I played for Task Force. <clears throat> And I, I still have this video to this day, and it is such a cool video. We, we came from the loser's bracket like Task Force always does. We played Dynasty in pinch in the finals, score tied one-to-one, and it was me and Brett Furlong versus Kevin Bailey, and I forget who the second person is, but I don't think it's somebody currently on the team. And, and Brett Furlong and Kevin Bailey get each other out at the same time. It's me versus this one person, and I told you about that just adrenaline, that I am indestructible, invincible feeling that you get when you play. And I remember thinking that against this one guy, like this is going to be my first elite medal. There's nobody going to take this from me. Like I'm going to destroy you. And he threw it at me and missed. And I charged him with only one ball because normally you're you're supposed to be smart and carry two. But I just thought. I know with 100% conviction that I'm going to nail this shot. I cannot miss this shot. And I remember blowing him up from about 10 feet away, um, and we won 
the whole thing was my first elite medal. It was my first medal in pinch. It was my first medal with task force. And I had just met all these guys and wanted to prove my medal and show them that I was good at pinch. And we won one of their only pinch medals that I remember them winning in a long time. Interestingly enough, I don't know that dynasty went on a tear after that, after that round. Um, I don't think that they've lost. I think they may have lost one round and pinched to Kraken, but other than that, they've been pretty much unstoppable. Um, we were the last, I think, medal that they got taken off of them in pinch. Um, and I've always wanted to come back at them for that since then because they're such a fun team to play pinch against. But that that memory burns into my brain because it was such a cool feeling. Nice. Plus, you just you had that that belief 100% that you're going to win. That medal was already yours. You might as well be wearing it. You know, this this yep. one person is in the way and just get out of the way guy. Like, yeah. Connor, awesome. Connor McGregor says it, you know, like he envisions what he doesn't envision uh, the fight specifically. He envisions what's going to happen after the fight and the next step and the next step. And, and he envisions that success every single day with every ounce of his being. And whether you like him or you hate him, He's successful at what he does, right? Although he should go defend his title because it's been what two years, Jesus Christ. But but the point is, is you know he, he can he can see that in his mind, and I think that that's really important with the best players. Look at the one um, championship, the showdown championship every year that it's happened. Like when it was Glenn versus um, Aaron uh, 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 from the South. I forget his name, so, Justin Carroll. Yeah. Um, you, you can see the intensity in Glenn's eyes. Like you, there's nobody stopping him. When it was Vince versus Glenn, this past showdown, like the intensity in both of their eyes, you could just see that. What you know, what I mean that that is another level of intensity, and I I know what that feeling is like. It's a very cool feeling. That's awesome. That's definitely a good takeaway. Is just uh, you know we talked about like stretching, practice, doing, getting you know getting outside of your comfort zone. I wonder if people discount how important the mental aspect is because you can already tell when a team is defeated. Like you can sense collectively that they're <clears> falling <throat> apart, or you know when somebody's having a bad day, um, or you can just kind of read that I'm just going to mow this person over and move on to the next one. You, you mentioned how Ketchum, uh, you know, goes full Ketchum and just murders an entire team. Like you just you can kind of sense that, but you can also sense the reverse where mentally they're not there. That's uh. I want to say that's some high-level stuff, but it's also some like common sense, uh, for lack of better words. Um, but it, it's it's vital, and like you said, you know, look at people that are performing at the top tier. Mentally, they've already decided they're they're going to win, or they've already decided that they're the best, or they've already decided that they're going to perform to their utmost ability. And let's let's you know let come what may afterwards. Yeah, you leave it all out there on the court for for everybody to see and. When somebody steps off the court against you, <clears throat> they should they should remember that they played you. You know, every time they step on the court with you, they should go, no, 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 he's going to give me 100% of himself, and I need to do the same if I'm going to win this match. That needs to be the mentality that, that you instill in people. You know, when I go to, when I step on the court against some of those players, it's I need to be at 100% in order to, to, to make this a match worth playing. Um, and you got to believe in yourself, man. And and it starts small. You know, nobody's nobody's the best when they start. Let's be totally honest. Um, I was atrocious when I first started playing dodgeball. And to be honest, I hated pinch when it first started happening because I couldn't do it very well. And I got better at it. And that's where the, the, the confidence came from is by practicing it every day and getting better at it every day. And, you know, in order to be good at something, you have to start by sucking at it a little bit. And that's okay. Yeah, that's... Um... <laughs> That's one of my takeaways from from this this interview so far is when you when you play against somebody your your mission is to let them know they played against you and then the other one is a lot of people saw you 
I'm, I'm a perfect example. You just appeared and you're a pinching nightmare, right? We saw, <laughs> I don't want to say, I don't want to say like the end product because you were obviously, you've, you've, incre- you've improved since then, but looking at right. the end product is all we see. We don't see the hours of practice. Everything that went into it. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and who knew that you practiced throwing pinches until you got calluses on calluses? Like who, I don't know if that's something that's common knowledge or maybe people are going to listen to this big. Oh, okay. I feel better yeah. now because I suck, but maybe if I do what Kenny did, I'll be a monster just the same, or they'll, they'll be able to pull away some of that, um, behind the scenes, you know, that goes into what makes, you know, a Kenny Cox throw, you know, it's, uh, that's awesome. man. I, I really enjoyed kind of digging into your, your mind a little bit with that stuff. Well, yeah. And shout out to, shout out to you for running this. I mean, these are, these are really cool podcasts and I'm glad that you're, that you're getting these insights from players because they're fun to listen to. Um, you know, shout out to, to everybody in the dodgeball family who listens to these and who, who contributes and is a part of the family. This is by and far <clears throat> the absolute best sport to be played. And it's the best group of people to ever play it. Um, you know, these people are people that I would consider, friends and family for life. Um, and I think that they are friendships that we will mold for the rest of our lives. And they are some of the most genuine, best friendships that exist. There will, there will eventually come a day where my body quits. And while I don't look forward to that day, at least I know that when that time comes, I'll still have all of the friendships that I've built with the dodgeball family people that I know, not just here, but in Seattle and Portland, <clears throat> shout out to those guys in Chicago, shout out to those guys. And, you know, in New York, shout out to all those guys, um, because they're amazing. And, and I think that that's one of the reasons why the sport will continue to grow and be fostered. For sure. I mean, it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely passion based and there's a ton of really awesome stuff that's going on right now. And, um, I, I think what I'm most excited was what, uh, USA dodgeball just, just dropped with uh, the membership and just making that big, bold step forward to say, we're here, we're going to help everybody do things the, the right way or a better yep. way. And yep. that was all from people that just said, you know what, um, no one else is doing this for me. So I'm going to step up and, and, and help make that happen. And you obviously know what that's like with uh, yep. Underground is a Bizzle. And um, I got kudos, to that for a while. Kudos so. to, to Mark and Jake for that, man. And I will say this. If you are listening to this and you've made it the whole way through, first off, congratulations. Yeah. Second off, <laughs> um, go go to somebody like Mark and go to somebody like Jake and help. Ask them what you can do to help. Um, if it's as simple as inviting new people, if it's as simple as just making sure that your team gets their shit together and registers on time, I, I don't know, whatever it is that they need help with, go out and help. If it's coming in early and setting up the tournaments, if it's staying late and breaking them down, don't be be part of the solution. Be part of the people that that make dodgeball better than what it is right now. It's absolutely essential. Like when I when I fly in for nationals, the first call I make is Mark, Glenn, and 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 Vince and and Jake. Like, can I help you guys come set up? What can I do to make this process easier for you guys so that you can help grow the sport? Because the less time they have to worry about all the administrative stuff and all of the setting up and breaking down, the more time they can spend on actually growing the sport. And what you're seeing over the over the past six months or so is the culmination of those efforts. And I want to see them succeed. You know, when 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 one of us succeeds in this dodgeball family, it's a feather in everybody's hat. We all succeed and to see it legitimized this way it's going to take the effort of everybody involved and even if it's small whatever it is you can do to help just do it awesome <clears throat> yeah I'm, uh, we'll end the interview there 
Well, believe it or not, that interview actually continued for about another half hour or so. Um, just a lot of uh, back and forth and kind of shooting the breeze uh, between Kenny and I, and it didn't really fit into the actual interview itself. Um, but if you're still with me, um, thanks for hanging in there. Uh, I really hope that you got to see what makes Kenny such a, uh, a great guy and uh, got some awesome takeaways, uh, you know, in terms of practice and tenacity and dedication and just sticking it through when things get tough, but also being willing to put yourself in a situation where you're not going to be comfortable. Uh, getting out of your comfort zone really toughens you uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, however you want to spin it. And if that's kind of what you want to go for in life, then, um, I mean, that's just how you do it. It's, it's pretty straightforward how you can replicate some of the um, features and attributes of, of a person when you actually sit down and talk with them and find out how far they've come and, and what went into making them who they are. Uh, I feel like uh, the hour and a half just flew by. Um, I know we covered a lot, but I still feel like me and Kenny can talk for hours on end. And uh, on that note, you know, wouldn't be surprised if we did it again in the not so distant future. Uh, till then, however, please go ahead and continue to send me your thoughts, suggestions, comments, and questions. Uh, I am still floored by the amount of support that I received. I really appreciate your feedback and do my best to incorporate it into current and future podcasts. And uh, we'll work just as hard to uh, keep them coming out and um, enjoyable. Until then, uh, we'll catch you next time and have a great weekend, everyone. Nick. Nick, help me.